At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Game 7 is here. Not too long from now. Go ahead and get your naps in early today because I feel like it's going to be like a 15-inning epic game. The Dodgers win 3-1 on Halloween to force Game 7. Now tied up three apiece the college football playoff rankings come out lots to discuss much to dive into uh, as well as I hope all of you are waking up today not too terribly hung over that you made it through Halloween and that you are ready like I said for what is likely to be a long night to determine who is going to win the World Series what a game I feel like coming up in Chavez Ravine, in L.A., between the Astros and the Dodgers. As well, the college football playoff is out. I am Clay Travis. Thank you for spending your Wednesday morning with us. We've got a loaded show for you. Uh, We've got Jeff Schwartz, as we always do, breaking down the NFL in Hour 2. In Hour 3, we will have John Morosi early. And then, special guest, Steve Spurrier, uh, set to come on with us at 8 30 Eastern. So uh, if you have not signed up yet for the podcast, today is probably going to be a good day for you to do so. I want to go ahead and open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. You have the opportunity to react if you are in Houston, if you are in LA, if you are anywhere under this great flag or beyond. Thank you for hanging with us. Uh, I want to bring in my guy, Danny G., uh, what is the vibe in the City of Angels now with Game 7 so close to ending the 30-year drought for the uh, Dodgers? Also, it was tantalizingly close 
for the Astros, up one nothing. I came back from taking the kids out trick-or-treating around the bottom of the fifth inning. And so I watched the game from there, probably like a lot of you watching it off and on on my phone as I was out with the kids taking them trick-or-treating for Halloween. Uh, and uh, came back in and watched it, saw the Dodgers rally to uh, to knock Verlander up and score two runs on him, uh, and also uh, saw the uh, the last best chance of the Astros with runners on first and third and uh, Altuve up to uh, to be able to uh, to get the ground ball there and the incredible scoop at first base to uh, to avoid a potential yeah. disaster on that throw. But uh, Danny G, what is the vibe now in LA? I mean, is this a, a, conclu- a done thing, a done a done situation? Let me tell you this, by the way. Uh, if you are a gambler, the Dodgers are minus one twenty-five for Game Seven tonight, which will be starting at eight twenty Eastern on Big Fox. It's like an atomic bomb is about to go off in the city of LA. I mean, you were there for game one, so you know how hyped everybody was to finally have the World Series here after waiting for so many decades. So can you imagine that times 100 right now, if that's possible? But that's really how it's feeling. Should have heard Dodger talk last night off the chain. The whole city is its reminiscent of the Lakers having their last game seven. But this is the first time ever in the hallowed hallways of Dodger Stadium that they've ever hosted a game seven at Dodger Stadium. And that stadium's been open since, what, the early 60s? So uh, insane to think that this is the first time that they've, they're going to host a World Series game seven there. So what is the vibe now for Game 7? Who do we expect to be on the mounds? Uh, what is uh, How many different guys do you think will be used? I mean, kind of set the stage here. Because I feel like a lot of people uh, are similar to me. Uh, they have come into this series as it's progressed because they think it's gotten more entertaining, as and it has, as each game has passed. And now you're down after 162 regular season games. After all the playoffs, you're down to one one game to decide everything. I mean, game seven is exciting no matter what sport you are a fan of. And uh, to have it come down in a series that's been, relatively speaking, this even is uh, is pretty ex- outstanding. Yeah, well, at the end of the game last night, what made it extra sweet was that Kenley Jansen had some redemption. He was called on for a six-out save. He only had to throw 19 pitches, Clay, and 18 of them were strikes. Yeah, so that's he, impressive. Yeah, he mopped up that crazy hot lineup that the Astros have on display. But he and he still will be able to go. He tonight will. He'll if, be able to necessary. go. It's all hands on deck. The only Dodger pitcher that won't be available will be Rich Hill. Uh, you know, because he threw five innings. But other than that, including Clayton Kershaw, Kershaw, in fact, tweeted Dave Roberts yesterday and said he wanted to pitch Tuesday night, but Roberts held him and said, nope, uh, I want to use you for game seven if I need you. So it's it's going to be you, Darvish, speaking of redemption. He, yes. of course, wet the bed uh, in Houston, and all that stuff that happened with Yuli Gurriel only pours more uh, gasoline on what could be an explosion in L.A. tomorrow. Talk about a Hollywood ending. Can you imagine that uh, as karma if, if you, Darvish, shuts down the Astros for a Game 7 win? Not only that, I thought that you, Darvish, and the way that he responded to that story was the way that I wish everybody would respond to 
controversies in sports. Uh, I mean, the, the, and for people who've forgotten already, you had uh, the uh, the slant eye gesture being made in the uh, in the dugout after was it a home run? Yeah, Yoli hit a home run. Yes, and then he sat down on the bench uh, right after celebrating. And I supposedly what his side of the story was is that he was explaining to a teammate that when he played in Asia, he was never to hit. He was never able to hit home runs off the pitchers there. Yeah, um, it still doesn't make any sense right, for why he would do right. The, uh, and you the could slant. the cameras caught him mouthing the word Shinito, which is yeah. not uh, cool to say in that uh, context with doing the eye slant gesture. So it it did look like he was just teasing the pitcher that he hit a home run off of to put it in its simplest form. Yeah, and so but you Darvish responded in such a uh, a positive way to a negative story that I think it's hard if you are a casual fan not to be rooting for him now. Obviously, there is a ton of excitement in L.A. There is also still a lot of excitement in Houston, where if you think about the city of Houston, other than the decision by Michael Jordan not to play for two years, which allowed the Rockets to win titles in, am I correct, 94 and 95? I believe it was 94 and 95, back-to-back titles. The city of Houston has not won very many championships in its time as a pro sports city. And so... This, for them, would be an incredible title to grab, not to mention the redemptive story after the uh, hurricane and the floods that came to the city of Houston. So uh, there are a lot of storylines to follow. I will bring in the rest of the crew. We will discuss 877-996-6369. You guys can also jump on board and give me your reactions as Game 7 moves closer and closer. want to also hit this in the open the college football playoff rankings are out, and uh, a little bit of a surprise. I'll break down these for you in a greater detail right after uh, right after this next uh, segment here. But uh, not surprising, the first three. I told you that I thought the first three would be Georgia, Alabama, and Notre Dame. And I think as long as those teams continue to win uh, and and go into, I've been saying this for a while. I think if Georgia and Alabama are both twelve and zero in the SEC title game, there's no way both those schools are not getting in. I think if Notre Dame finishes 11-1, and which will be a challenge because they have four tough games left, they have to play Wake Forest, they have to play at Miami, they have to play Navy, and then they have to finish with at, uh, at Stanford, which is not going to be easy. But if Notre Dame wins all four of those games, they will be in the playoff again for the first time since 2012. Well, sorry, that wasn't really the playoff, but be in the postseason with a chance to win a championship for the first time since 2012. Number four spot was Clemson. Number five was Oklahoma. Six, Ohio State. Seven, Penn State. Do you agree with the college football playoff ranking? Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Just tweeted out my top four playoff Halloween candy rankings. This is like dad tax duty. If you're reaching in, trying to steal stuff from the... I go number one draft pick, peanut M&Ms. Number two, Reese's Cups and Minis. Number three, Smarties. Number four, Dumb Dumb Suckers. What about you, Eddie Garcia? I am definitely a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup uh, fan. That's that's number one the, on my list. I don't see how anybody dislikes the Reese's Peanut I, Butter Cup. I don't Cup. either. It might be the – like, I understand that other people have, like, 
particular, like, oh, I like this candy bar better or whatever else. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is, like, maybe the greatest candy ever created because I don't understand how you dislike it unless you're one of those kids with a peanut allergy or whatever. But for the rest of us, is there a person out there who's like, this candy sucks? I just don't buy it. I think everybody likes it. Uh, If they are out there, you can send all of your Reese's Peanut Butter Cups to me. I will give them a good home. Happily. Yes. Hey, Game 6 of the World Series. Dodgers are still alive. They beat the Astros 3-1. Rich Hill gets the start. He goes four and two-thirds innings. Allowed one run on four hits. Then the bullpen took over and actually did a great job for the Dodgers. Four and a third shutout innings. Corey Seager's sacrifice fly RBI in the sixth was the go-ahead run. And Jock Peterson added a solo homer in the seventh to give the Dodgers some insurance. As the series is even at three, we will have a deciding Game 7 Coming up tonight in L.A., 8 o'clock Eastern, you should watch it on Fox. NFL News, Carolina Panthers dealt their top wide receiver, Kelvin Benjamin, the Buffalo Bills for a third and seventh round pick in the 2018 draft. Miami Dolphins send running back Jay Ajayi to the Philadelphia Eagles for a conditional fourth round pick. And Dolphins linebacker Kiko Alonso not going to be suspended for that helmet-to-helmet hit on Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco that left the quarterback with a concussion. This report brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, I think you mentioned this in the first hour, but it's worth repeating. The Browns and Bengals thought they had agreed on a deal that would have sent quarterback A.J. McCarron from Cincinnati to Cleveland, but the Browns notified the league after the 4 p.m. Eastern time deadline. And because the Browns were late, the league denied the trade. Cleveland protested, but the NFL rejected the Browns' protest. So even when they feel like they do something right, the Browns still somehow screw it up. I feel like the NFL should just say, I know you suck. You're the Browns. Like, we're going to at least let you have another quarterback because you're one in 23 in your last 24 games. And even though you violated the rule, we're going to give you a waiver. By the way, good question out here after my, my candy selections have thrown everyone into an uproar on Twitter. Uh, and somebody actually has to make a statement. Grown men shouldn't eat suckers. It looks cre- creepy. You know what? That's actually, I, I, I didn't really thought about it before. It is a little bit creepy for a grown man to be eating a sucker. I definitely think a grown man can't eat a lollipop. Like, there's no way that a grown man can eat a lollipop. It just looks like a girl can eat. Can, but, right? Like, if if, yeah. if if you walked into the studio and you saw me just sitting there eating a lollipop, you'd be like, I, there's no way I'm trusting this guy. Like, I, I don't know what he's up to, but he's up to something. Yeah, shady. it's like when a man is at a bar and he's drinking a drink through a straw, an alcoholic beverage through a straw. This is not a good look. It's not yeah. manly. Uh, yeah. But you, that's why the go-to candy move in that case would be Jolly Ranchers, like a cherry oh, Jolly Rancher. The Jolly Ranchers yes. I, I, the Jolly Ranchers are phenomenal. I don't know very many people who don't like Jolly, uh, Jolly Ranchers either. Now, there's different flavors, so I can understand if you don't want a different yeah, flavor. Yeah, raspberry like, I, sucks. They, they added that. Oh, I that. like ras- I no, like raspberry. the blue one? The, uh, that's they, blueberry, isn't it? I, I forget, but they, they put the blue one in there just to take up space in the bag to give you less cherry. Apple, every, cherry, yes. watermelon. Thank Those you. Those three are off the chain. That's the trifecta. Um, apple, I'm kind of iffy on sometimes. I think you have oh to be in the gosh. mood for apple. No. I think you have to be in the mood for apple. What do you think in general of my power rankings? Uh, the Halloween candy party rankings. Uh, we had the playoff rankings come out, one, two, three, and four. Uh, number one, obviously, Alabama, uh, sorry, Georgia. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Notre Dame. Number four was Clemson. So I'm coming out with my Halloween uh, candy uh, rankings here. And my top four, peanut M&Ms are the one seed for me. Two seed, Reese's Cups and Minis. I don't think you can split those up. It's like Trinidad and Tobago. They go together, even though they seem like they should be different countries. Uh, Smarties. And then I got Dum Dum Suckers in the four seed. Now the Dum Dums are a little bit, a little bit of a. That's where the flavor comes in. 
Because the worst of the dum-dums is like the root beer. If I were in charge of the dum-dum company, I'd be like, first thing I would do, come in, I'd be like, we're not making the root beer flavored dum-dums anymore. Nobody likes them. Everybody gets upset when you get the root beer one. It's dead. I'm killing it. I don't know who runs the dum-dum factory, but if I did, I would roll right in. And by the way, there's a couple of ESPN jokes you can make there about the dum-dum factory. But if I rolled in, root beer's gone. What am I underrating? Well, as the well, go ahead, Justin. Everybody's I, I mean, I, I, as the, as the resident foodie here in the LA studios, I, I have to say, I that, don't even know what that means. You stop talking. Go to Jason Martin. He <laughs> used to be fat. He knows candy. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, I, I look. I really like peanuts. I eat nuts you as can't a large start part off, of my the diet way, now. Justin Justin Martin saying, as the resident foodie, just kills all arguments that he would have from that point forward. It's, it's a known fact that I devour everything. I love all food, and I am the the you know the authority on if delicious tasting food. If you use the food. word foodie, then I don't want your opinion about anything. I've, nev- I've, never, I've never heard right that there. take. I've, I've never heard that take before. Well, we'll ask John Morosi what his favorite candies are. And next by the hour. way, you can't be the resident foodie if you hate Chick Fil A. So I don't even care about your candy. I didn't say I hate Chick Fil A. By the way, my ever. hometown is getting a Chick Fil A, but. I will say the you you screwed up on the Reeses because the the holiday Reeses are the best ones the pumpkins the He's eggs right about that. the the Christmas trees those are the best Reeses. I don't even know what those are. I didn't know those. They're exist. far better than the regular cups. It's amazing. What are they? How are they different? Oh, I'm baffled now. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We bring in our expert on all things baseball, John Morosi. He's up early with us here on the East Coast. John, what did you do last night for Halloween? Did you get the kids out? We did, and then, of course, it was a lot of watching uh, Game 6 and what a Game 6 it was. Just a phenomenal series that that got even better last night, and uh, I hope, Clay, as I think everybody around the country does that loves uh, our national pastime, hoping that uh, uh, Game 7 even surpasses what we've seen so far in this series. So how does a baseball guy who literally makes his living writing and talking about baseball handle Halloween with young kids also overlapping with game six? Did you just get them out really early and get them yeah. back uh, before the game even started? Like, how, how, how's your game plan? How do you decide that with a wife? Yeah, we, 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 were, we were good, actually. We, uh, with, you know, trick-or-treating, especially with, uh, with real little ones, which is what we have. So it didn't take, uh, didn't take too long in terms of actually getting out there in, in the neighborhood. So uh, it was a pretty uh, brief circuit. Uh, they, they already have more, more than enough sugar they need, than they would need anyway. So I tried to curtail the, uh, the, the actual duration of the trick-or-treating episode and then uh, got back and uh, bathed in bed, and I was uh, – I was back in front of the TV in time to watch the game, so it actually worked out worked out pretty well. It help, it's helpful certainly in the Eastern Time Zone. First pitch is about what, what was it eight fifteen, eight twenty. So, uh, but by then we were uh, we were already back and and uh, kind of into that next phase. So it actually worked out pretty well. All right, so Justin Verlander starts two games in the World Series. Game two, which the Astros end up winning, even though he had was losing when he was pulled out of that game, and now he loses Game six. Everybody's all over Clayton Kershaw about not being a great postseason pitcher. Well, he won game one and obviously did not play very well in game five. But why is everybody all over Kershaw? And I haven't heard very much criticism of Verlander. Yeah, very fair question. I, I think with, with Verlander, those were still two pretty solid starts. Both were quality starts. You look at the, the overall line for the World Series for him, 12 innings. Five earned runs, so that's a 3.75 ERA. He did strike out 14 batters in, in, in 12 innings. And I think that the 
the point that you make that's very valid, Clay, about the, the way things went in both games is that he gave up the lead in both of them, had it and lost it. And, and that, to me, is a, uh, is, is a rather concerning development for him. And certainly, listen, he, did, he has not doomed his team, at least not yet, um, in, in this World Series. And uh, I think he can, he can depart by saying he pitched respectably, certainly to this point in time, better than Kershaw has. But at the end of the day, Clay, he came here to win a World Series. And they're now one win away from not being able to do so. Uh, and, and I think that has to be concerning to Justin. He now only has uh, after this year left, two years left with the Astros. Uh, this is a team with which he could and probably should win a World Series ring at some point in time, whether it's this year or one of the next two years. And I, I'm sure Justin, who is, who is as competitive as they are, I've been lucky to cover a lot of his career. Um, I'm sure to this morning he's he's upset. I think he's he acknowledged the, that he pitched well. He pitched fine last night. But I think that the competitor in him is acknowledging that uh, – uh, there's there's a pitch or two that he like to have back, especially when you hit Chase Utley uh, on an old, uh, I believe one and two pitch to put him on, and of course that ends up being the the go ahead run. Uh, that's a pretty tough tough way, uh, I think. I think for Justin to have that that inning unravel on him, knowing that was a key play in it, I'm sure frustrates him today. And and uh, even though he's pitched respectably, I think is is probably something that is still uh, gnawing at him here this morning. What do you think happens in Game Seven? I know it's hard to predict because so much craziness has happened so far in this series, but what is, for those of you, let me, let me cut it before I get to what you think is going to happen. For people out there who are going to watch Game 7 and have not necessarily been plugged in to the Astros and to the Dodgers all season long, what would you tell them to watch for in Game 7? Because there will be millions of people coming in to watch the World Series Game 7 who are not traditional baseball fans. They come in for the big show. They come in because the Game 7 are the two most exciting words you can basically toss out in sports. What should they be paying attention to? Well, it's going to be chaotic. I, I can promise you that. Uh, these are the games that really do not follow any particular script. Um, we saw that with the Cubs and Indians last year. We saw it with the Royals and the Giants in 2014. Both games, of course, notably won by the road team. Uh, so that that is an interesting dynamic that we have seen occur in, in a recent uh, World Series here. But I, I think that we'll see you'll see the starting pitchers that we'll talk a lot about, and then they may both be gone by the third or fourth inning. That's been the case in, in a great many um, Game 7s uh, where managers have very quick hooks. I think we're going to see Clayton Kershaw pitch in this game. I'm, I'm almost certain of that. Um, so we're going to see great and early involvement by the bullpens. Um, will Kenley Jansen be able to pitch there late in the game there for the Dodgers uh, after throwing two innings last night? I think that's, that's a bit of an unknown. But in general, you'll see desperation. And I think that Tom Verducci has had a great line about this in the past where he said uh, the, the game seven is the, is the razor's edge between fame and infamy. A great line by Tom uh, that I think is just the perfect way to talk about a game seven because you can even see, we even saw in game five, Springer misplays a ball in center field and then next inning comes up, it's a, it's a home run. So the, you can even have both of those fame and infamy categories um, in, uh, in the very same inning of the same game. So I think Tom Verducci's line is certainly something I'm reflecting on a lot today and getting ready for. Just watch tonight, if, if it's the first game you've watched in this series, watch the tension. Watch the tension on the fans of the face, uh, on the faces of the fans, rather, and then also in the dugouts. This is a – we remember the last time that, uh, that we saw Game 7 last year when – 
when Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, was telling David Ross in the dugout, I'm a glass case of emotion. Well, I think everybody's going to feel that way tonight because there is that tension, that knot in your stomach. It, it is a agony. It's a thrill ride, and it is something to be savored and enjoyed. You Darvish is an incredible story here because he didn't pitch very well in game three, I believe it was, which seems like forever ago. We had right. the ugly uh, incident in the locker room of the slant eye gesture being made. He handled that very magnanimously, made, I think, that story go away because in an era where it seems like everybody wants to be the victim and everybody wants to be perpetually offended, he responded in a way that put that story behind this series and didn't allow it to overwhelm any one of the games or certainly any one of the days involving the World Series. What does he have now that he's going back out to the mound in Game 7 this could be an incredible Hollywood ending opportunity for him, right? It could be. And, and certainly we saw last night Yulieski uh, Gurriel, who had made the racist gesture, uh, he was booed at length by the Dodger Stadium crowd, as we expected and as should have happened. Uh, and uh, it was interesting that Rich Hill uh, spoke afterward about how, in his, in his judgment, he said publicly that he didn't feel like the, the punishment fit the crime in terms of Gurriel being suspended next year. So if you notice last night, Rich Hill stepped off the mound for as long as he could, letting the boos continue even longer before he threw his first pitch to Gurriel. So very interestingly uh, there, and I think a strong statement by Rich Hill as well for his, on behalf of his teammate. But I, I think this, this, this game is going to be fascinating. We'll, we'll see, of course, Darvish is going to face Gurriel in this game. Uh, Darvish has a, has a great chance to, uh, I think, sort of correct and write his own script based on how he pitched in Game 3. Remember, too, Clay, there, there was a time – earlier in the season where there was a thought that maybe Darvish had been giving his pitches away by tipping them uh, on accident, of course, and that, uh, that hitters had been uh, able to pick up on that and really tee off on him that way. I wonder if maybe he fell into some habits as well in game three that allowed the Astros to, to get on his pitches again. And if he's going to correct that before game seven, that to me is a fascinating thing to watch. I think also remember this, you Darvish is a free agent after tonight. So this is his. There's so much riding on this game. Obviously, wins and losses, but this is his last impression for anybody uh, as, as a as a free agent before that that market opens. So so much riding on this rim, personally, professionally, in every possible way. And and I think he'll find a way to to adjust to what the Astros did to him in Game Three. He is uh, he has such a vast repertoire. Clay, one of the one of the best in the game from the standpoint of just how many pitches he can throw, which I think will allow him to to adapt to change to come back with with a different approach than what he had in Game 3. And, and Lance McCullers, I think the one thing about him on the opposite side, he is he, we know about his breaking ball. He's going to throw the breaking ball a bunch, as he did in, in Game 3. Uh, I think that it's now uh, maybe going to be incumbent on the Dodgers to adjust and now they've had that look at that curveball. I, I think Darvish actually has maybe a bit more uh, of a vast repertoire with which to make adjustments and attack hitters in a different way than, than he did in Game 3 than does McCullers. So I, I think that Darvish, with everything riding on it, the, the emotion, uh, again, the, the, the Gurriel situation, so many storylines there for Darvish. I think he's going to be great tonight. We're talking to John Morosi. Should the Dodgers be favored in your mind in this game? I mean, if you're going out, they're playing at home. Uh, they are, according to Vegas, a small favorite, minus 120 favorite to win tonight's game. Is that the right idea in your mind? Do you believe the Dodgers should be the favorite coming into game seven? Yes, a slight favorite sounds exactly right to me. And, and the reason for that is um, they at least have some degree of order to their bullpen. 
The Astros, it's it's chaotic, and they're on the road. I think if you're asking relief pitchers to come in and, and close out a game when they don't know what the proper order is of relief pitchers, uh, that is a very difficult situation to be in uh, as a road team in a game seven. Not really knowing for sure who your best closing option is is a is a very dark place to be as a team uh, at, at this at this time of uh, at this time of year. Uh, when you know everything is everything is obviously in play tonight, you never know who's going to actually step out of the bullpen. But I just think that's that's a difficult, hard place for a manager to find himself, not knowing where you're going to go in the late inning. So, so for that reason, among uh, several others, but I think that's the biggest one. I just I just think there's a pronounced advantage, even as tired as the Dodger bullpen is, they at least know who their bullpen is, and, and the Astros really don't. Still, I think at this, at this stage of uh, the, the late stage of the series, so I think a slight advantage to LA, uh, but of course, Clay in a Game Seven, my friend, uh, you just never know what to expect. You think Clayton Kershaw will get the ball at all? I mean, what odds yes, did you put I, on I'm him coming in and pitching? Convinced, I would say there's about a eighty to ninety percent chance Kershaw gets in this game. I, I would be stunned if he doesn't pitch, because I, I don't think Darvish goes all nine, and Jansen threw six outs yesterday, so. That means maybe the only way that you would have Darvish to Jansen is if Darvish goes eight, and I, and I don't think he'll do that. So I, I think that you're going to have probably five or six outs. To I think really good case scenario for the Dodgers is Darvish gives you six, but that that still leaves you six outs short. And given Kershaw is a competitor, he's, he came out of the bullpen last year in a game five uh, against the Nationals, so he's comfortable in that situation. Um, I, I think that there's almost – I, I I would like I said eighty to ninety percent chance Kershaw gets in this game tonight. Wow! Um, and lastly, for you, and thank you for getting up early with us this morning. Uh, what would you say this series has done for baseball? Obviously, last year we had an incredible seven-game series between the Cubs and the Indians that captivated the country. I think this series, arguably, maybe every bit as good, if not better, in terms of game-to-game, uh, just total emotional impact and also excitement what have the last two years of world series done for baseball in this country it's a great question clay and i think that i would say this that that it it has restored some of not all of but some of uh the the luster of baseball as as a national sport i think it still is at its core in many respects uh a a fantastically uh strong regional and local sport but i think what we've seen the last couple years is even without a, a historic Cubs-like World Series drought that this series has, has a lot of relevance. Uh, it it uh, it outrated Sunday uh, Night Football. Now they may have been in part because uh, because the, the the Lions here locally in Michigan were playing that game. But uh, but in general, <laughs> uh, there, there there was there I think there was a there was a reason why. I mean, as you know, Clay, that even even the the lesser Sunday matchups, Sunday Night matchups, will get a big audience. And the fact that baseball surpassed it. Was a big deal. That's that's a big deal for the commissioner's office, and a big deal for for Fox, and a big deal for the network. So that's it's it's a it's a good sign that that uh, perhaps as time goes on, that this the sport is becoming younger with a lot of great young stars. Um, that that maybe uh, maybe there's a chance, maybe there's a, a light there at the end for baseball to to reclaim some of that youth participation, uh, youth engagement, uh, which they've worked very hard at, especially the last few years. So I think that if you want to have a platform with a lot of great young talent and, and excitement. Uh, that that's going to stimulate a lot, a lot of interest among kids. I think that that's, that has happened the last two World Series, and baseball should be very proud and satisfied with that. 
Awesome. Appreciate the time, uh, my man, and uh, thank you for uh, getting up early with us. And hopefully, maybe we can talk to you tomorrow after Game 7. Uh, it sounds great, Clay. I cannot wait. Does everybody enjoy this game? Because he's, uh, uh, we've, we've had two in a row, but they, they, they do not come around all that often, so enjoy it tonight. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. How much, if at all, do you think you'll be involved, or will they even talk to you at all, about filling this new role to hire the new football coach with the Florida Gators? Uh, will you no, be in any of those meetings? Director, like, uh, yeah, how, What will that be like? That. He is completely in charge. Uh, I'm sure he will report to the president. Uh, the president is a really sharp uh, man here, uh, but he has complete confidence in our athletic director, Scott Strickland. Uh, Scott's open to anybody giving some names here and there and information. Uh, you could give him, you could send him a letter for that. So if there's a name out there, I'll throw it at him. But uh, he will make the final call, and he's the man in charge on that. Who impresses you right now when you watch college football? Who do you watch? I mean, what was so great about your offensive system was even if you weren't a Florida Gator fan, the Gators were must-watch television when you had the fun and gun rolling there. I mean, it was just such an exciting brand of football. Who do you watch now and think, damn, they kind of remind me of what we had rolling when we were going with the Gators? Well, not not really much of anybody because we were in the I formation some. And we were in one back some. Uh, we really didn't get into the shotgun until, uh, oh, 90. Uh, the end of the 96 season. So we were under center, take your steps and throw the ball. Uh, we had uh, all-American receivers, Danny Warfel, quarterback, Shane Matthews, Rex Grossman, Jesse Palmer, Doug Johnson. All those guys were really good. And the receivers uh, were very good. Uh, a couple local kids, Chris Doring, Travis McGriff. So uh, defense was very good, too. Kevin Carter and Johnny Church and all them guys. Uh, we had a bunch of all-Americans over there, too. So we, we had the talent. And we threw it and ran it, but we did it, uh, you know, sometimes I just play no eye formation. In fact, I saw somebody run a lead draw last night, and I said, I'd be dead gum. That was our favorite play. <laughs> and nobody runs it much anymore. But the fullback goes in there and blocks the linebacker, and the tailback hops over. Everybody rushes, and linemen don't have to block anybody. Just let them rush, and away you go. So that was sort of fun to watch. I think maybe uh, Ohio University ran it last night. I was watching that game a little bit. So, uh, but everybody's in the shotgun now, which is a, a good way to do it. Um, you got to give Oklahoma State credit. Uh, Mason Rudolph and those guys, uh, they, they throw it around probably as well as anybody in Oklahoma. That's going to be maybe the, the game of the week, uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State this week. Man, looking forward to seeing that one. Will you call Bob Stoops and say, hey, Bob, we could use you back in Gainesville? Oh, I've called him and said, if you want this job, we'll put your name in the pot. <laughs> I haven't called back yet. I don't know if he got the message or not. Uh, but I seriously doubt that Bobby wants to do it uh, again. But uh, that certainly would be his call. And if he wanted to, I'm sure there's a lot of schools who'd love to have him. What uh, What do you think happened with Jim McElwain? I mean, you're down there close to the program. Uh, he, he came in. He was only there two and a half years. I think a lot of people are still surprised over how quickly that thing unraveled. What did you see uh, it, as it you watched the Gators? It, went, it uh, surprised all of us how fast it went down. Uh, but the, the athletic director said it clearly. He said this was about more than just the wins and losses. Uh, and, uh, you know, during the week, the death 
threat uh, charges, and they asked for, did it come by email, did it come by phone, how did it get here, and he didn't want to go into any details, and uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but I know it irritated a lot of the uh, top people at the University of Florida, uh, trustees, presidents, vice presidents. I mean, it didn't make the Gators look very good. Our fans, I guess, supposedly from our fans, would do something like that. So I think that was that was what started it. And then uh, the offense has been so bad for all three years, although he's won two division championships, which is very impressive. I think uh, win that Eastern Division twice in three years is pretty doggone good. But uh, it just seems like it was time to move on. It's time for a change. And uh, the atmosphere around Florida, I think I haven't, Rev, anybody disagreeing with the decision that Scott Strickland made? It happens fast, but, you know, if something's inevitable, uh, let's do it and let's don't uh, mess around. We're talking to Steve Spurrier. Uh, Coach, do you feel like because of what you did in resurrecting this program and then also what Urban Meyer did, that Gator fans want a team that scores a lot of points, that kind of the culture of the Florida Gators is, let's run up and down the field, let's put some points on the scoreboard. And, you know, I know Will Muschamp had some success, but it didn't seem like Gator fans want to win 17-14. to 14. They want to put up 45 points in a game, and if you're going to lose, go down, you know, kind of all guns blazing. Do you feel like that's kind of the culture of the Florida Gator program now? Well, I would guess uh... – the year, the 90s and 2000, uh, when we won the seven SECs, we, we could score. I mean, we had score in the 30s and 40s all the time. Uh, but we, we could score some points. And uh, Urban's teams with Tim Tebow, Chris Leak. Uh, Chris Leak won one of those national championships, you know, in SEC. And, uh, and then Tebow was outstanding uh, his uh, three years as starter. So, uh uh, those are the years we, we've won the SECs and the Nationals, and uh, uh, we've won some divisions now. But like Coach McElwain has won two. Give him credit for that. Uh, but, yeah, offense, uh, people, they, they're used to seeing some big uh, long passes, touchdowns, and, and they're not seeing a bunch of them. So uh, it does have a little bit to do with it. Uh, but, again, uh uh, this is this is one of the best jobs in the country. Uh, we just need to need to get somebody in here that uh, can get us back competing for championships, and that's that's what's expected. Be in the hunt. You're not going to win them every year, uh, but be in the hunt for that Eastern Division, and then hopefully SEC, and hopefully maybe a national again someday. What do you think about the Tennessee job? You grew up in the state of Tennessee. Uh, uh, John Gruden getting rumored to be a, a, a the next head coach at Tennessee. Would you be stunned if John Gruden one day ended up at the at the University of Tennessee? Yeah, I would be stunned. I would be shocked. Uh, I keep thinking he may take it. If he wants to coach, I think he's. I would think he he would go to the NFL. Uh, these uh, uh, these college coaches, it's so much. The hours are not about coaching. Uh, some people love coaching. Uh, that was my favorite part of being a head coach was coaching the players on the field and coaching the game itself. But so much of it nowadays is the recruiting aspect. Uh, and it's, uh, it's constantly on the phones uh, and uh, travel every chance you get. And uh, even in the summer, early signing periods, uh, it's it's busy. It's time-consuming. And you have to do it because all, all your competition's doing it. Uh 
but uh, you have to ask John Green. He may want to be a college coach. I don't know, but I, I just sort of think he'd lean toward one of them good, good NFL jobs if one of the good ones opens up. When you watch Tennessee and Florida play this year, I'm sure you watch that game. I said, man, this was a pale approximation of what we saw with some great Spurrier versus Fulmer, uh, even some great you know, Lane Kiffin versus, uh, <laughs> versus Urban Meyer. A lot of drama there. The on-the-field product just wasn't very good. Do you miss a big rivalry game like Tennessee and Florida mattering like it did when you and Phil Fulmer were both on the sidelines? And that was a lot of times two of the best teams in the country that were playing every year. Yeah, back in the uh, mid-90s, I guess, when Peyton and T. Martin and those guys were there, uh, Florida and Tennessee, we're probably the two best. Alabama wasn't what they are now, certainly. So, uh, And, then, of course, we played each other early in the season. And it was very important whoever won that would have the upper hand in winning the division and then winning the SEC. And uh, we, we're fortunate to, to, to win most of those. But... Uh, yeah, times have changed now, and uh, Alabama, certainly the way they recruit, uh, they're, they're going to always be there. Uh, they, talent-wise, they got the best team in the country, and they got excellent coaches. Uh, Coach Saban is going to have them ready to play. But the only way they lose is if something happens that mess up somewhere, uh, or they're not ready, but he'll, he'll have them ready to play. So uh, it's going to be tough to beat those guys. But, uh, yeah, Tennessee-Florida was a, a big game. The one this year, uh, of course, Tennessee had all kind of opportunities to win that game. Uh, I mean, all kind of opportunities. And uh, so this is uh, – that was a big win for us. And uh, we won some close ones, and then we lost two close ones. Then we got blown out, and now we're changing coaches. So that's sort of been the story of the, the Gator season thus far. You mentioned Alabama. Uh, you went to three programs, Duke, which hadn't won a lot, obviously, and still hasn't won a lot, Florida, which was a sleeping giant, and you turned them into a giant. South Carolina was, and I think this is an amazing stat, had never even won a bowl game until 1995. You are arguably the best coach at all three of those places that they have ever had. That's an unbelievable resume. Does some part of you wonder what you could have done if you'd gone to a program like Alabama, like Nick Saban did, that was already a heavyweight and wonder what you could have done if you'd gotten into a heavyweight program instead of having to resurrect or even create a championship caliber program at, at those other three schools that you went to? Clay, you know, you're the first guy maybe to ever asked that. But uh, uh, let me tell you sort of my background, okay? As a kid growing up in uh, East Tennessee, uh, my dad loved baseball. Well, he did, he did not like the Yankees because they were the best team. They always won. So that old saying, rooting for the underdog, root for the underdog, I sort of grew up like that. And coming out of high school, I had a lot of choices. I could have gone to Alabama and played for Coach Bryant. But they'd already won a whole bunch of SECs and national championships. And I visited Florida, and they'd never won anything. I said, well, maybe maybe I can go down there. Maybe we can win maybe the first ever SEC. We played for it a couple of times, got beat, lost by one game my junior and senior year. But never did quite win it. Uh, but fortunately, uh, when I came back to coach, it was still available. So I, I do. I, I like uh, the thrill to me is coaching at a college or university, I mean. And for the first time in school history, we did this. First time in school history, we did that. And uh, winning those 11 games at South Carolina, uh, first regular season, 11-win season, 
and uh, even at Florida. Uh, we had the first 10-win season in 1991. So those things uh, were a thrill to me. I, I like that first time in school history. It's Coach Spurrier. I appreciate the time. Good luck with the new coach down there, and good luck on the golf course as well. Okay, Clay, good talking to you. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 